Attention passengers, today on Strangers on a Podcast, we travel back in time to 1990 for a Prohibition-era gangster movie. It contains gunfights, multiple love triangles, and handsome men in hats. Join us, won't you? Welcome to the movie car here at Strangers on a Podcast. I'm the conductor. With me is... I'm Grimweed. Hello, Grimweed. Hello. We're called Strangers on a Podcast because we're two guys who don't know each other. We're talking about movies to see how they bring people together. Are we going to drive each other nuts? Are we going to curse and scream one another out? Are we going to stay on topic? Nope. Probably not. Hey, it, Did, as soon as it happens, we'll probably both have a heart attack because we'll be so shocked. Probably. So that'll probably but, be our last show. Well, okay. Now I don't want to stay on topic as much. Uh, <laughs> Everybody else is like, oh, please let him stay on topic. Uh-huh. And today we are talking about the one, the only Miller's Crossing. Ooh, we're back with the Coens. What's the rumpus, buddy? How many times I say that? There's another count. Yeah, there's a, they say that a lot. Miller's Crossing came out in 1990. It was written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, with a little help from the works of Dashiell Hammett. Uh, music was by Carter Burwell, who's done all the Cohen movies except for Inside Llewyn Davis. It was shot by Barry Sonnenfeld, who would go on to be quite the director in his own right, with hits the such third as The Men in Black. The, the third movie he and did with the Cohens. And the last he did with the Cohens. Yes, he did Blood Simple. He did Raising uh, Arizona. Raising Arizona. And this one. Yep. And then he went on to be a director in his own right, with hits such as the Men in Black films and the Adams Family movies. That's after he did a bunch of porn and stuff too, but that's another well, story. Well, I think he did the porn before he met the Coens, actually. Which means him becoming a major director in his own right would be after he did... The, pay attention. Okay. You built the timeline here. <laughs> well, I, I thought we had skip. I thought we could skip over the porn for Mr. Sonnenfeld's good name, but okay. He openly admits it. He's yeah, I did this, I did that, and yeah. So why skip over it if he's willing yeah. to openly admit it? Why skip the porn? Because it's dirty, dirty porn, dirty porn. Okay, well, get some soap for when now, you're done. It stars Gabriel Byrne, <laughs> Albert Finney, John Turturro, Marcia Gay Harden in her big screen debut. John Polito. John Turturro's e. first movie with, with the Coens, too. Uh, J.E. Freeman as the Dane. Actually, also, it was Polito, Turturro, and Steve Buscemi. All three of them. This was their first movie with the Coens. It also has a ton of character actors like Steve Buscemi in his first Coen Brothers movie. Michael Jeter in a small part as Adolf. In a cameo by none other than the Coens' friend and fellow director Sam fucking Raimi is in it. And he, you could tell in a couple shots, he had some influence on this movie too. There's a couple shots that was like, okay, that is a Raimi shot. Yes, it was. Here and there. Uh, yeah, uh, Sam Raimi and uh, the Coens were friends way back before any of them were big. Yeah, they often refer to Raimi as kind of a mentor. Really? Yep. I did not know that. Well, yeah. Well, well I don't know if they sense. themselves, but they, as far as critics and a, a lot of a lot of big name movie people, refer to Raimi as a Cohen mentor. I don't know if the Cohen brothers really went as hardcore. Uh, let's make a movie for our, ourselves, kind of the way Raimi did with Evil Dead. Uh, I don't think they got into the drive-in circuit the way Evil Dead did or anything like that. I think Raimi, uh, Raimi was more of a guerrilla filmmaker than they were. Yeah. Well, they, they made movies based on what they wanted to make though. Like the last time the, the Big Lebowski, they wanted to make a movie very specific for like the crime and all that and, and everything just being unimportant. This right. one, Barry Sonnenfeld says, okay, well, what do we want to make? And they told him a handsome movie about men in hats. That's what they made. Also about gangsters in forests. Well, yeah, that too. But I mean, it is a handsome movie about men in hats. It is indeed. Which is kind of a funny parallel because uh, Sonnenfeld went on to wreck Men in Black after making Men in Hats. It okay. rhymes. Yeah, okay. It's not that much of a connection, but all right. Give me a break. Well, I'm just hoping when I connect all these movies together, I can go a little tighter than that one. Yeah, I, I assume you will. I'm hoping because that was a loose connection there. It was a very... Ooh. Well, it just... 
It was more at least if it comes down to, to nothing else, I can say the Coens are my connection between Lebowski and Miller's Crossing. There you go. I, I can take the cheap way out and do that connection if it comes down to it. If you have to, you have to. And uh, the movie is uh, steeped in period dialogue. And one of the things they say a lot is, what's the rumpus? As in, what's the what's the problem? What's going on? What's uh, It's a way they uh, greet each other and uh, ask what the situation is. So, but uh, Miller's Crossing, what's the rumpus with Miller's Crossing? Well, it tells the story of Gabriel Burns' Tom Reagan as he Who navigates. basically an Irish version of Tom Hagen from The Godfather. From The Godfather, yes. Well, I, Tom Hagen in The Godfather was Irish. Well, this is a little bit more Irish. Well, it's... Uh, well, one, he's still got an accent. Two, he's working for Irish mob. Tells the story of Gabriel Burns, Tom Reagan, as he navigates shifting loyalties and multiple double crosses, trying to fend for himself amid a rising gang war between his boss, Leo, and Irish mob boss. Who also happens boss. to be a cross-dresser. Uh, that's not canon part of the film. Oh, pff, excuse me? He was dressed as a woman in the women's restroom. After being upstairs. Well, that was a... You that can say a, anything after being upstairs. It's not like he went upstairs and never came down. Did he? Uh, all right. So you're, or right, we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm guessing you were hoping I wouldn't throw that out there. No, I, I what you're saying. Or that, you knew that at makes, some point I was going to throw that at you. That makes no sense though. I, all, right, all right. We'll get to it. <laughs> Rising gang war between his boss, Leo, an Irish mob boss, and the Italian Johnny Casper, who feels that Leo has given him the high hat one too many times. Who Not helping matter, by... John Polito. Who was also the same age as? Gabriel Byrne. Yes. Yes, they were the same yes. age in the But Polito often referred to him as kid, and they were played as Polito being a much older character. And Polito says that he believes that him playing this older character in this movie is what actually helped his career, because before this, he was trying to play his age and he wasn't getting much work. Then once he started playing older, everybody's like, oh, he's great as that older character. And then all of a sudden, he was getting work like mad playing an older character than what he actually is. Many genre fans out there will remember John Polito as Gideon, the pawn shop owner in The Crow. Uh, or the brother Seamus. Or brother Seamus in Big Lebowski. Yep. Not, helping Tom Re not helping matters for Tom Regan is the fact that Tom is sleeping with Leo's girl, Verna, and her brother, Bernie, is at the center of the violence. Okay, I, I just realized, did you refer to him as Brother Seamus or as the Brother Seamus or a Brother Seamus? I don't recall, okay. but I know- <laughs> Because I, I know I, I know just said as the, movie... as the Brother Seamus. Yeah. What are you, an Irish monk? Yeah. I'm just making sure that if I do actually leave this in, people aren't thinking that we believe his name was Brother Seamus. No, it was uh, Defino. Yeah, anyway. Anyway- Lebowski was last week. Well, yeah, but we just mentioned that. And again, I didn't want people to think that I thought his, or that we thought his name was Brother Seamus. The Judas Priest is very, is, it doesn't want people to step on his big Lebowski cred is, is, is what's going on here. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but sure. After I bungled last week's episode, sure, why not? Bungled? Okay, fine. <laughs> I thought you did fine. What did you think of the movie? I don't think you've ever seen it. Yeah, I have. I hadn't seen it until I said, I can connect our first movie to what could be our 10th movie. I'm just missing one in between. And you said, well, what about this to leave me to try and figure out how in the fuck I'm going to throw this in to that list? And it's like, okay, sure. And I started watching it and was like, holy crap, this, uh, is, this is a Cohen movie that doesn't feel like a Cohen movie, but is obviously a Cohen movie. You're up to the task, Grim. And Have confidence I started in seeing connections in all sorts of places. But since I'm connecting one to 10, I'm going to wait until I get to 10 and break down all that connection. I'm sure you'll figure one out. Oh, I've, I have figured out a few. I think you need nine connections to go between the 10 movies. At minimum. I might be able to make nine connections from one to the next and on and on. You will have to wait and see, won't you? I suppose I will. But none of them are, I don't think we featured um, yeah, any Kevin Bacon. Yeah, that still doesn't tell me what I think about it or tell you what, what I think about it, huh? We haven't featured any Kevin Bacon movies yet. We are making all sorts of connections between the movies. So we're, we're uh, cinephiles just playing around right here. But yeah, what did you think of the movie? If we could ever get to that. <laughs> if we can get to the point. Um, I, again, I thought it was, it was a Cohen movie that didn't feel like a Cohen movie, but it was obviously a Cohen movie. It was just, you knew what it was and you knew who was making it. But it was such 
a different feel than what you're used to when you think Coen's. And yet it felt like it was, it, it just belonged in the Coen universe at the same time. I, I, I don't know how really to describe it. It's a, it, it is, it is a good movie. I am glad you recommended it because I didn't even know, I, as I had heard the name at some point, but I didn't know anything about it, who made it, who was in it, nothing. I just know at one point in time, I've heard the name. But you said you had seen it. No, I hadn't seen it until, because like, oh, you haven't seen it yet. It's like, no, I have, but because of this. I hadn't okay. seen it up until you you said, well, we can do that one. It's like, okay, uh, we can do that. So I got it and watched it. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm glad I put this in the collection. Did 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 you, so you bought a hard copy of it? Then? I have physical media. Of course you do. But did, no, did I got your, the Criterion Collection version of it. The, does it come with a commentary by the Coens or anything like that? Unfortunately, there's no commentary. I've not found Cohen commentaries on much of anything. Yeah, I There's think like interviews or things, but there's not really commentaries. But even I on Big the, Lebowski, there's no commentaries on the Blu-ray, on the 4K, there's no commentaries. I don't know if there was on the DVD. I don't remember. There wasn't on the DVD. I know that for sure. But again the big lebowski has about as many editions out as evil dead because mm. there was the dvd there was one that came in a bowling ball there was a couple different blu-ray covers there was a steel case there was there's the 4k there's another one that comes with a bowling bag mm. um there's a bunch of different versions of it and they're probably all the same because with the 4k the blu-ray version you get of it is the same exact one that if you just had the blu-ray there's nothing different about it. Ah. And the 4K is just the 4K print with really nothing, like none of the special features. Everything, all the special features they say, oh, here it is. That's all in the Blu-ray. Right. There's that's really nothing special uh, on the 4K side. Well, on the 4K, on the 4K discs, it, most of the time there's no room to put any special features on a 4K disc. Well, yeah, but, I, but usually when you get a 4K thing, you, and you end up with more than what you had in, if you just had the Blu-ray, other than just it's got better picture. You might mm. end up with a, an extra commentary or something. There's nothing extra with that. So I'm guessing with all the different versions, there's probably no commentary on any of them as far as Lebowski. Fun fact about buying a 4K TV. Don't drop it? Well, you can, don't drop it for one, but <laughs> did you know that, uh, like everything, it runs like a phone and you get updates for the t for the TV. It's basically one of these big smart TVs is like just a big phone on your wall mm -hmm. and, and you have to get updates from time to time. And sometimes they can send you an update that actually destroys the ability, the TV's ability to display 4K as mine did. Fun. Yeah. Now, if I want to watch 4K, I have to go into all the brightness and adjust it all the way up, and I have to do all sorts of things. Can't you do like a um, custom preset? I've tried. It, it's, it's been a <laughs> it nightmare. Won't save your it's custom presets? A, it's just been a nightmare, man. <laughs> it's, it's like I was so excited to have the uh, to have this 4K TV with a 4K player, and I finally have this moment where I sit down and feel like my life is a triumph because I can watch Star Wars in 4K and enjoy it, and Tatooine looks like it's overcast. Oh, so the nightmares you have about the color are the same nightmares that Sonnenfeld had about the color from Miller's Crossing. Indeed. Back to topic. I just took it back to topic. Sonnenfeld had nightmares about, he, he had nightmares about the coloring for that because when they were actually at the Miller's Crossing location, he insisted he it had to be overcast. And the Coens are like, you know us, if it's a, if we can be out here and shoot, we're going to shoot. We, we're not going to waste it. And he's like, no, it has to be overcast. And it ended up being that of the entire time they were out there shooting, there was only one day when the sun was shining and he could do a little bit of color altering. But other than like one little strip you see in the distance of sunlight, everything the entire time came out. It's all overcast. And he also used Fuji film to, uh, yeah, to Fuji give it a film more stock grit. to get the, get a little more blue in the green to make a make the overcast uh, to make the colors a little more softer. Yeah, Kodak had Kodak showed the green better, and Fuji showed the blue better. I believe it was. Yeah. So Fuji is what he used when they were at Miller's Crossing, but everywhere else he was showing showing the green. But it also, I think he said, had more of like a grit to it or something. So it kind of it set it apart from any of the outdoor scenes in town or anywhere else. You know, another movie came out the same year as Miller's Crossing. Oh, a lot of movies came out the same year as Miller's Crossing. Yeah, but uh, this was kind of a gangster movie, even though the Coens prefer it to be called film noir. But what other famous gangster movie came out the same year as Miller's Crossing? It's I'll give you a hint. What am I a clown to you? 
What am I, a clown? That was the same year as Goodfellas? Yes. Which one do you you think dominated the box office? Well, there's a reason why one movie is known and the other isn't. Very much so. Oh, well, not that Miller's Crossing is not known. It's just not as well known. I mean, up against Goodfellas, whether it's the same year or not, which one would you say as far as if it's a gangster movie? I I hate to say it because I do really like Miller's Crossing. I'm going for Goodfellas. And also, I I think we're talking about gangster movie versus like, uh, I I think... Miller's Crossing is something you sit and watch. Goodfellas is something you can just, you can put on. Yeah. Uh, Miller's Crossing is more of a period film based on old time gangster dramas and... uh, Even have, like the language is even period. Yeah. Even though the timelines don't necessarily always mesh, since there's things that are after Prohibition while the movie is, uh, is taking place during Prohibition. And I'm not going to go into the whole synopsis of the movie, because really, the movie, the synopsis... <laughs> after is, I screwed up the synopsis last time, like, ah, we're getting away from that. No, it's fine. <laughs> you did fine. The plot is rather Byzantine, and if you want to watch it, it's best to let the viewer figure it out for themselves as they watch it. Because if I, first of all, I would probably be misrepresenting some of the facts of the movie because it's. Tom was the man that could see every angle. Tom is the man who can see every angle. And he knew if you play this person this way and this person this way, you can manipulate the situation and come out ahead. He's a player, yes. he's Machiavellian. And there is nobody, there is no redeeming character in this movie. There is no good guy in this movie. Not really. The closest you get to a good guy is maybe Casper's wife. Kind of, one could argue that Casper is closest you get to a good guy in a sense because Casper is the one who's fighting for this code of ethics. Casper is the one who's pissed that Bernie Birnbaum is skimming off of his fixes. Uh, and if you can't trust a fix, what can you trust? He's the one who's demanding that, you know, order be restored in a sense. Well, yeah, but Tom was fighting for the same thing. Tom also was never, he, he was, he was against killing anybody. He didn't want to. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. I'd say ethically, you could order men to their deaths, though. Well, yeah, and he could but order Bernie rubbed out. He said we should. As far as Casper's concerned, Tom had had the ethics that he was constantly talking about, not double crossing people. The order he he knew Tom. That was his thing. But well, that's, neither uh, one of them, you could say, is a good guy in the story. I mean, you yeah, about, yeah Casper could be a good people. guy. Well, Casper also slapped his kid. Just Casper's because this kid was excited about about winning something. And you could say that Tom Regan doesn't double-cross people, but Do- Tom Regan is also sleeping with his best friend's girlfriend. Yeah. Well, was his best friend or his... Well, I don't know how I would describe that relationship because... I, I think uh, the best... Uh, I've, I've heard uh, a few... I, I've heard at least one critic describe Tom Regan as hating Leo. I know at one point it was something like, I don't necessarily have to like him or what was it? But basically, it's I, like he's he's not going to... He's going I to don't help have him. To, Gonna, yeah, he says something like along the lines of, uh, I, I may not work for him, but it doesn't mean I can't, I'm not going to help him sell. Yeah, like it's that. like basically he might not want anything to do with me, but that doesn't mean I can't still care about him. Something like that. And there are a lot of intricate relationship, relationships like this throughout the movie where- There are two it, love triangles. Yeah. Well, and then it's possible that there's a third. Possible. Well, if, the, if, Tom, if Bernie is to be believed. Well, well, no, I'm talking about Tom, Verna, and Leo. Could be Tom, Verna, and Leo in two different ways. There's a theory- Is this that, going back to the cross-dressing? Well, I guess if you wanted to take it that way, you could- um, I was thinking of it more how Tom was trying to split up Leo and Verna and how Tom's like, well, he doesn't necessarily have to care about me, but that doesn't mean I don't care about him. Right. And when Tom cuts ties, it's when Leo is set with Verna. So it could be, was he sleeping with Verna to split them up so he could have Leo? And I'm guessing by that, look, you're like, well, okay, that's, n- n- yeah. You think this Tom's gay for Leo? Rocker. No, that's, I don't think that's, the, no, I think what he wanted to do was he was, uh, every Everything Tom did was good for the business of the, of the that they were in. So yeah. he saw Verna manipulating Leo and getting her way with Bernie's protection. Therefore, he wanted her out of the he wanted her out of Leo's life because she was leading him astray. She was influencing his decisions and making him make bad moves. Yeah, that but was the main that thing. That could be that could go two different ways. As far as just the possible, not that I'm saying that's what it is. I'm just saying as far as possible theories and tri- love triangles and everything, there is he was wanting to be with Verna or it was he was trying to split them up so he could be with Leo. Because th- 
the in a, way this in a movie, homosexual way. Well, the way this movie is done, it's obvious that there are gay characters, and it's obvious that nobody cares. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's Mink not like it's an issue. Boy. And you could still be a tough guy and be gay. It's not, well, yeah, they're all the, I mean, it's not as stereotyped as a lot of other places. The toughest guy in the movie is a gay guy. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It, it It's not like that being a possibility or that being a theory would be out of the realm of possibility in the movie because it's not like that kind of a character wouldn't fit in this movie. Well, I think that if Tom were gay, he would have to be bisexual because he's clearly, uh, he's well, clearly yeah, performing with Verna. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's not like it's, again, it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think you're it's kind a more, of It's more a of a stretch as far as everything else, but it's yes, still it a plausible is. theory. And I was, plausible just, I was just posing it foot. as a plausible theory. It's it's a vaguely plausible theory. It, it, it there's Is there any chance at all that it could have been what was going on? Any chance I don't at think all? so. Based on based on Tom's uh, reactions. Well, then how would it be later in the movie? I don't think it's plausible. I don't think it's what? What you said? It, yes, it's a plausible theory. But if you don't think there's any chance, vaguely. then it wouldn't be plausible. I don't think there is much vague chance. Are you just trying to trap me into being a hypocrite or something? No, I'm just saying if it at all is plausible, which I don't really think then, it is. Okay, I think it I, is. And again, I I've said th- this is the, this is when we talk about the movie and tell well, this is what I think, and you say well, this is what what you think, and we argue about who's right. Present evidence, sir. I can't present, present evidence, evidence of what. Uh, of your argument i did okay well i that you, you've supposed evidence i would, ar- well, I would that's argue- the only evidence we have is what what we see and what is said we see that they don't care if you're gay or not you could be a tough guy and gay it doesn't matter we see that he is always looking out for leo and is concerned about him he makes sure or at least tries to make sure there's cops at his place when he thinks he's in danger he's always looking out for him when like i said when he cuts ties is when leo says this is what's going on i mean everything is for leo everything he does is for leo not necessarily business it's because it's like he doesn't say well yeah leo might not like me but as long as he's in charge of the business that's where i'm looking out for it's he he might be done with me but that doesn't mean i'm done with him that that that's that's his i wish i could quit you line Maybe, but uh, I really didn't. I didn't really didn't get any sexual tension. Well, no, you said present evidence. There's the evidence of that being a plausible theory. Yes, but there was That's no sexual tension. Uh, zero sexual tension. Man, and this is. Uh, there, I I didn't find there to be any kind of. I I, I think Leo was firmly heterosexual. I don't know. I, I possibly. I, I don't I, know. Maybe Tom wasn't. All I'm saying is it's possible and it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. But now I'm rethinking Tom. Uh, (laughs) And that's the point of this. The whole point of this whole podcast is people talking about, okay, I'm talking about a movie to you. You're talking about it to me. What I'm saying, it's you're making, you're making me think I'm making you think and just how we can get to know each other and change other people's lives through movies how movies can impact people. Sadly, a lot of my argument, uh, a lot of my opinions about Miller's Crossing can't be uh, substantiated without spoiling it, and I don't want to spoil it, so... It is a tough one, because I think I already have a couple times with Mm -hmm. some things I've said. One of the things about the movie that I I thought was really great was uh, kind of Tom and Verna's weird relationship they have, where uh, it it seems like they hate each other until they're screwing. It's like... Um, Well, yeah, because, I mean, they're fighting quite a bit, and he says, I love you, grabs her and kisses her. She gets pissed, pushes him away, and it's like, oh, I bet you think you raised hell, and he's well, if I raised hell, then you would know it. No, it's it's a kind of relationship that you don't see in movies very often, where uh where a guy and a girl are in love but also not particularly they don't particularly like one another and uh one of the things i would have liked in the movie is maybe some sort of culmination of their relationship where uh finally like like a kind of humphrey bogart lauren bacall scene where maybe the gun mall finally asks like johnny do you love me or not or something like that i think that would have been an interesting little uh thing to you tie mean up like when character. leo was begging tom to come back and says everything can be as it was 
Now you're spoiling. I, I think this movie can be spoiled. I honestly think we can go through this movie and not have to worry about spoiling it, spoiling anything because just the way this movie's done, really the only thing to leave out would be Casper, Bernie, the Dane. Casper, Bernie, and the Dane. Yeah. We could talk about all the rest except for the, the how- What that, about Mink? We can talk about Mink. What do you got to say about Mink then, eh? But I'm just saying, if we if we just leave out their end, like how that wraps up, we should be able to cover anything else. Yeah. Hell, but, I've already uh, said when, when Tom cuts ties- All right, ties, fine. <laughs> well then you got me thinking now like uh one of the things that uh tom seems to have an issue with is probably he hates himself he sets himself apart as this intellectual who's who's smarter than everyone else in the room all the time but with that comes a kind of coldness and an isolation that he clearly tries to self-medicate with uh booze and gambling and at the end of the movie he's he's basically isolated himself from leo and verna the two people the people who he's closest to and he is left alone at miller's crossing and he's just sort of staring up at the trees and you hear that beautiful music coming through the coming through the leaves and everything else maybe he was he bisexual was he attracted to both of them and he felt he didn't deserve love on any level because he didn't have a heart anymore or was it that he knew both of those people were toxic for him and he had to get away Maybe it was, but I, another theory I have about Tom is based on the timing and uh, Gabriel Byrne's age when uh, they shot this movie. Well, let me just do the math a little bit for you. Gabriel Byrne was born in 1950. Miller's Crossing came out in 1990. It was shot in 89, so Gabriel Byrne was 38 or 39 when the movie was made. I kind of sworn he was 37. He was 39, according. He was the same age as John Polito, so yeah, they were both 39. All right, so he was playing know. Tom Reagan, 39 Late years old. 30s. That means he was probably born in the 1800s or something. If, it, if the movie goes on in the 30s or the 20s, he was born in the 1800s or l earlier. And he was Irish with an accent, so he might have immigrated from Ireland to the Americas. And I would wonder if maybe a man like him wouldn't have been a very valuable guy to have in, say, something like a civil war that was brewing over in the Emerald Isle. I wonder if maybe he was the, uh, maybe a member of an ex, maybe, maybe he was a, a former IRA kind of guy. So are guy. you going through and, and just doing random backstories? No, I'm wondering about what did the dude do before he was the dude? What do you mean? What What did he say? He what his what did, what what was his background? Well, he actually had a background to an extent. I mean, yeah. he spent most of the time in college occupying various administration buildings, smoking a lot of tie stick. There was the Seattle Seven. There was a Port, Port Huron statement. There was the Rody for Metallica. When Dude helped author the Port Huron statement, he authored the the original first, the original yeah. Port Huron statement, not the compromise second draft. Yes. What does it have was, to do with, with Miller's Crossing? The Coen brothers like characters who have backgrounds. Well, yeah, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that his background is that. They'll, they'll give them the background that they need for the story. Did the dude need to be a, a provocateur, like back in the back rooms, uh, hippie? It like, gave you more of an idea guy? of his character, I think. And Tom is completely unreadable in this movie. Critics have and said I so. I think that is the point. That is why there's no backstory given for him to keep him as just that unreadable, just like like Casper says, the man the, who follows and whispers in the ear. He is that just unreadable. He gives advice and stays in the shadow type. He's Machiavellian. Yes. He's one, one of the terms I like to use. <clears throat> but no, the, I, I, I feel like Tom also has a haunted quality to his character, in a sense. Like, uh, he's... Uh, some like something made him as cold as he is like he does have a look like there something has happened so i mean it, i and i don't get the feeling it was like oh my dad beat me up or something like that it was it was probably something of that he was involved in that went wrong or something and the dates line up for it to be a maybe a bloody sunday thing where he was there all of his people got massacred and he fled to the americas that's just my kind of guess and because, like I said, he was a smart guy who would probably make a good kind of colonel or a man in charge of a group of soldiers. But he doesn't like to get his hands dirty. I mean, I, I guess if that's what you want to assume. Well, you're the one who's coming up with the whole Leo being Leo yeah, and Tom being gay but thing. But the things I, I, and again, I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying the things that are said has lent rise to that being a possible theory on another love triangle within the movie we already have two right? not only that and? but uh, well right well we have have, have 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 you never heard the rule of threes 
There's Dane, <laughs> Mink, and Bernie, who are a love triangle. And then there's even some critics who have theorized that Tom, Bernie, and Verna are a love triangle based on Bernie's claims about his sister trying to seduce him. Well, no, that, was, that wasn't trying to seduce him. That was trying to convert him. Because Bernie is the gay character. She was trying to convert him. Yeah, she tried to she give was trying to do conversion therapy once. by, it's like, no, I swear you got to be straight here. Let me show you that that's what that was. Maybe that, okay. that would, ex- that would, according but- to everything I've seen. And okay. So yes, I know. Yeah. I just now watched the movie, but I, when, when I'm prepping for these, I'll watch the movie. I'll do whatever I can as far as commentaries or whatever. I'll look and try and find extra videos. Mm-hmm. I try and do some kind of research, even though I don't necessarily sound like I know what I'm talking about. Most of the time I do try and find out information and everything I have found. It was conversion therapy. Yes. It makes sense. Yeah, so I, I don't know Rather where her, this, just trying her to... Bernie and Verna love triangle came from, but I think it was more as far as like when she says something about them running away and taking Bernie with them, his reaction was more like, why? I don't think- Are we going to go think, to Niagara Falls? Yeah, I think Bernie, he was entertained by him, but not somebody that he really wanted to be around. I think he found him entertaining, but not something he, somebody he would want to spend time with. I think he found Bernie to be like a weasel. Yeah. Uh, basically. But just like, the way Bernie would, would come in, it, like come into his apartment and the conversations, I think he found him he found him entertaining, but he didn't trust him. He didn't want to be around him. Pretty much. And that seems to be a recurring theme in the Coen Brothers movie is, is coming home to your apartment and finding somebody who doesn't belong because the dude had that happen how many times? Well, yeah, that, that I was thinking that one was would be obvious. I'm just trying to think of other Coen Brothers movies that that's happened. And because my knowledge of Coen Brothers movies is fairly limited, I'm trying to remember like in Oh Brother where that would have happened. Oh, when they arrive home uh, to the George Clooney's house, he the law is waiting for him. Well, yeah, but it's not like you're walking in and you find somebody there or somebody has been there. They get to that cabin and the law is already there outside waiting. Yeah. But that's not the same as like going in and finding somebody in your house. The closest thing I can think of with with O Brother is when they get back to town and he finds out that his wife has a new man. So that, I mean, if you want to look at it, somebody's in his house that way. If you want to kind of go a loose interpretation. Okay, back to topic. Tom is a character See what happens when you start on those things and get me thinking. Yeah. Well, Tom is also a character who is obsessed with control. He thinks he he can play Leo's the the right the way Leo ought to be played. He thinks he can balance everybody against each other. And something about maybe something in his past, something calamitous happened where he lost control. Well, I mean, it could have been like he accidentally killed somebody. Um, like he he was supposed to be doing something and ended up accidentally shooting a civilian or something and it haunted him. It could be something like that. It could be anything. It could be but that I think like he's, a wife but, or child died or something. I mean, there's any number of reasons. It doesn't necessarily have to mean he fled the country to try and stay alive. Well, I was just trying to put a romantic angle on Tom, but apparently... That's romantic? Yeah, sure. War hero flees country to hide as a gangster uh, enforcer guy. Yeah, that's uh, a That is one thing that the Coen brothers are really good at, is romanticizing things that aren't generally romanticized. Like Big Lebowski, they romanticized a Bowling. bowling alley. Yeah. Miller's Crossing romanticized, well... Gangsters. Raised in Arizona romanticized. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I like to think, like, remember at the end how the uh, they returned the baby and it was to the, the very Do we want to spoil film? another Coen Brothers movie? Okay, yeah, fine. Because, you know, we might one day talk about Raising Arizona. I was the first Coen Brothers movie that movie I had ever seen was Raising Arizona. Yeah, same here. Only because I... I, I think Blood Simple just didn't get the wider recognition that most people would. Plus, well, it was like a. When NCAA. Raising Arizona came out, I was just a little kid. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, same here. And um, we had gone to my aunt's house and, like, oh, yeah, we're going to rent this movie. And it had just come out. So they got that. And I remember sitting watching that on on TV because that was like a big thing. That, oh, yeah, we get, we're going to go there and rent a movie for some reason. Instead huh. of I just, I guess, instead of just sitting there watching TV at night, we're going to rent a movie. So, yeah, yeah, that was my introduction to the Coens was Raising Arizona. It is a it is a weird, fun little movie. Yeah. Great Nicolas Cage performance. Yes. But that's not Miller's Crossing. No, it isn't. So, all right, fine. <laughs> would you say, would you agree with me that Tom engineers his own isolation? And maybe you could tell me your opinion. Why, why would he, why would he do such a thing? 
I think they're he, both toxic. Well, I think he engineers his own isolation because again, he is somebody that knows all the angles. And if you can see all the angles and you can manipulate things like that, then you tend to isolate to make it easier to do that manipulation. Mm. And if he can, if he can keep like keep it where he had it, it was easier. It's it's almost like you stay as the person looking in because it, once mm. you're in there and involved, it's hard to see all the other angles because it's getting too personal. Maybe he was uh, maybe a glimpse of what Bernie was like as a person had made it so that he felt that uh, people like himself were toxic to others. Maybe it, uh, maybe he said Bernie was a guy who could see all the angles and he played him any way he could. Maybe that's me. Maybe if I lose control of myself, that's what I'll become. And I'll just destroy these two who I care about. Which would be... Leo and Verna. Maybe. Depending on which theory you go by. No, Look, I mean, he, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, this is this is another one of those movies, like, you, you kept saying to me last week about it sounds like it has a deeper meaning this is one this is the same thing yeah like uh that's something else i i have i i need to bring up about miller's crossing is the coen brothers are constantly asked what does the hat symbolize because there's this shot at the beginning of miller's crossing of a hat that has fallen in the grass and the wind gently lifts it and then blows it away and critics and film students have analyzed it every which way it can be analyzed i believe there's even like a interpretations of it based on the teachings of Carl Jung. This is basically like there's idea that Tom and Verna and all these characters in Miller's Crossing represent archetypes of some kind. And the Coen brothers have repeatedly stated it's just a hat. It's not symbolizing anything. We just thought it looked cool to put a hat on the grass and see it get blown away by the wind. That's that's all it symbolizes. It doesn't symbolize anything. And that kind of is, and I can't remember which one we talked about this in, but like I, I specifically remember how we've talked about how like, okay, they might have done this, but that doesn't mean that's what it means. And I don't mean like the how with the continu continuity thing, but just as, as far as what is said, what is done, what's on screen, they might put it for one thing, but what how you interpret it is completely different. True. And there's so many different interpretations about the hat as far as that goes. And it's like, they're saying, oh, yeah, we thought it looked cool. But that doesn't mean that to you, it couldn't have a deeper meaning. Supposedly, the writer is not aware of their intentions, <clears throat> is something Joe Bob well, said. remember with Night of the Living Dead, the intention was not to, to put in as your leading man at that time in history, a black man as a way to make a point. It was, it, he came in, he was the best one for the role, so that was who became Ben. It wasn't to make a point, yet it had such a deeper meaning once it came out and people saw that it took on a meaning that was never intended so it's not unusual for things that the writers put in to not really be anything and then people look at it and take some kind of symbolism from it be that as it may uh i think there's one thing to do analyze what's there but there's a, it's another thing to superimpose your own ideas onto onto the work like there, there's a saying that i well isn't I, that what i say to is? myself well, no not well it is and it isn't uh look it, what like somebody shows you an ink blot what it, they tell you what is they ask you what do you see in the ink blot and you can say you see an owl you can say you see a butterfly you can say you see anything but what you're really seeing is an ink blot it's not anything yeah, but it's so, also your mind making sense of what it's seeing yes but it, one could also say it's the mind pushing an illusion that has no bearing on reality but again art art smart just because the person that did it had one thing in mind doesn't mean that it can't relate to somebody else in another way true enough but I mean, what does this have to do look with the at, hat scene um, you think the at, hat scene is uh look at hurt hurt J when johnny cash did hurt that song was much different than the original version yeah for one thing johnny cage took out the johnny cash johnny cash did i say johnny cage yes he did we went to mortal combat there for a second when yeah, Johnny Cash did Hurt, it had Johnny a whole Cage, Johnny Cash, everybody knows they're the same guy. Uh, Johnny Cash could I don't know what world you're in, but Johnny Cage and Johnny Cash, not even close. Yeah, not not even close. <laughs> uh, but, okay, fair enough. It, well, Johnny Cash took out the line about, I wear this crown of shit, so that, that, that helped the song. 
but yet the way it the way it was mixed and the, the how he sang it his voice everything it it became a different song yes fair enough but uh again what does this have to do with the hat do you saying the hat has a meaning i'm saying that just because when they put it in there it didn't have a meaning for them that that doesn't mean it can't have a meaning for you so as far as people analyzing it and trying to figure it out, you can analyze it and try and figure out, okay, maybe we can try and figure out what they were thinking. Yeah, we'd have to psychoanalyze the Coens. But at the same time, forget what they're thinking and put this together as a whole and tell me what you interpret it as. That's that? what it should be. Okay, well, the hat represents uh, Tom having a dream about his hat in the in the forest, and then one could argue that the movie has its own counter-argument to what you've just stated. T he's telling Verna that he had a dream about his hat in the forest, and Verna tries to say, let me guess, you've you finally caught it and it wasn't a hat. It had turned into something beautiful. And he says, no, I never went after it. The man's foolish, dumbest thing, most foolish thing in the world is a man chasing his own hat. And yet the movie basically starts with him chasing his hat. That's how he gets to Verna. He's chasing his hat. Okay, now, fair enough. What we can learn about Miller's Crossing is that you can analyze a hat from any different angle forever, and you still won't know what the hat means. So we get, we're getting well, down to Platonism at this point. One of the things that has been said point. about the hats, too, is it has to do with vulnerability. Because mm -hmm. they, the men never really take off or they, they never really are like put their hats away unless they're in a vulnerable situation or like, like not unless they're in a vulnerable situation. They, ne they, they never put their hats away like unless it's a time when they're going to be vulnerable, like when they're going to sleep, something like that, when you're going to be vulnerable because you're sleeping. But it's they put their hats away then. But the rest of the movie, their hat, is, it's in their hand, it's on their knee, it's on their foot. They, their, hat, their hat is with them. Mm -hmm. But the times when they're vulnerable, um, like when Leo... Is, goes to Tom and is trying to convince him, yeah, come back and all that, that the hat he had on then, which technically, yes, it's still a hat, but he's talking to him, then he takes that off, and then the conversation becomes more of a vulnerable, like he's putting himself out there. The times when Tom is vulnerable, he's got no hat. Mm. So a lot of things, a lot, a lot of theories are out there about that and being basically the hats are like shields. I think the, uh, at the end of the movie, I think, uh, Neither Tom nor Leo were wearing hats. They were carrying their hats. And Verna was wearing a hat, wasn't he? Yes, she like was a, wearing a hat. She said... With a veil. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, fuck off or whatever. And took off and got in the car Drop and drove dead. off and left him. That was her, her go-to quote. Her new line was, drop dead. No, I think uh, Marsha Gay Harden turned in a great performance. And Verna is an amazing character who mm -hmm. harkens back to the old femme fatale ladies of uh, yesteryear that you just don't see in movies very often. That kind of character is is not part of modern cinema cinema for vocabulary i don't think uh, a tough girl like that yeah she played the character great i mean if if, if it was like uh if they if they wrote that kind of character for a modern story it would be like oh she's tough but because she can she's a better shot than every guy and she's sexier than like I, i'm thinking angelina jolie in that movie wanted or something like that that's the interpretation of a femme fatale for modern well, film goes you know who else was up for that role, don't you? In Wanted? No, for Verna. Oh, there were a lot of actresses. Well, Julia Roberts, Demi Moore, and Jennifer Jason Lee were all up for that role. Jennifer Jason Lee would have killed it. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee would have been really cool to see in that one. I think, but uh, at the same time, I don't know if I'd want to see different because what Marsha Gay Harden knocked it out of the yeah. park. I'm just uh, I, I I submit that as a compliment to Jennifer Jason Lee. She would have oh, killed yes. it. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. I, I defy you to find a Jennifer Jason Lee performance is top notch. Okay, don't don't test me because I'll, I'll find. I one. didn't mean that seriously. <laughs> oh, and I, f I forgot to mention. Um, you know how I've been on this whole thing about counting. Yeah, I think you have OCD. Well, that's possible too. Jesus, Tom. How many fucking times did you hear somebody say Jesus, Tom? I think they say it five or six times in the movie. Eight times. Eight times. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Mink says it. Uh, Frankie, the uh, thug for Casper, three times says by it. Leo and once by Frankie, once by Bernie, and w once by Chief O'Doul and and Mayor. The, the, when the chief and mayor. They say it once. Yeah, the chief and mayor who are, who will show up in the office of whoever's in charge. Yep. They're just like, well, looks like Casper's running the show now. Well, let's report to him. And as long as I'm doing some links here, there's a pretty interesting drinking game you can play. So For I'll link it to Night of the Demons. There's an interesting drinking game you can play. Take a, it's, take a drink every time someone says Jesus Tom or a drink every time Tom gets punched. You, oh, you'd be drunk. 
Tom gets his ass kicked throughout the movie. Oh, um, yeah. Doesn't show many bruises, uh, but uh, um, I think uh, there's there's well, there's, there's a sequence got, in the uh, there's, there's a sequence where he's got yeah like a like a he's a little cut up. But yeah. uh, I mean, to be honest, I, uh, movies are hesitant to put shiners on their leading men and let the let the character walk around with a big black eye through the rest of the movie. So uh, that's just how movies work. Like uh, you know, it, it's the same thing in action movies where uh, oh Arnold Schwarzenegger got shot, but that's okay. It was just in the it was just in the arm, the shoulder. So he's fine. Can you believe the Coens originally didn't want Byrne to use his actual accent? Yes, until Gabriel Byrne convinced them by uh, commi- actually by saying that, actually talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, they didn't want they they didn't want the characters to be that Irish. But then when Gabriel Byrne said that uh, that. Uh, he, he he detected a little bit of Irish in the in the prose that he could uh, that he could work with. They said, "Okay, we'll try it." And he said, "All right, well here we go." And uh, Gabriel Burns's Irish accent was much more subtle than that in the film than what I just did. Yeah, the, I can't remember what it was exactly he said, but the, yeah, they had somebody there, and as soon as he started talking, he was like, "Oh yeah, he'll be he'll be fine." Yeah, and Albert Finney went on to uh, use uh, Irish accent as well, even though I'm not. And he went Albert on to Finney. dress as a woman in the bathroom. Yes, which okay. It, based on your idea that that was Leo, it was. It, it was him. No, it was. It, I'm sticking by it. <laughs> that makes no sense. Leo was upstairs, dressed fully dressed, and then Tom went down to the bathroom immediately. He would have had to change and beat Tom to the bathroom. He, he's he's got a drag pole, just like the bat pole. How and Adam West would slide down the pole and be changed. Leo's got a drag pole. He slides down and he's in the bathroom as the matron in the bathroom. Okay, you should call this episode the drag pole. Ooh, that would be a cool name. Too bad I've already named it. Friends oh, is a state of mind. Oh, okay. I thought it was, I actually liked that line, Friends is a state of mind. I thought it was. See, that's the thing. Casper had some nice lines. and I thought that line was a really good um, description of this movie. Friends is a state of mind. And that's the thing. It's like. Uh, but the, I do the, like the, drag pole. <laughs> that'd be a good Rob Zombie song too. Right on my drag pole. Yeah, yeah. I do no, agree. Uh, drag pole does sound like it would be a pretty cool Rob Zombie song. Rob Zombie, yeah. if you're listening, drag polls our idea, but you can feel free to write a song. Just give us some credit. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. Give us credit the, for the name. Call it drag poll of the strangers or something. Or or just in, make sure we get credit on on there saying that we, we gave you the name. And if you want to throw us in the song somewhere, cool. But, you know, just make sure we get credit for coming up with a name. Then you can have the rest. That way we can get royalties a little bit. Just a, Well, just I a wasn't few. thinking that, but that's cool too. Yeah, just, just a few royalties off that album of yours, Mr. Zombie. Hey, and we, if you could, we, did, we did come up with a name. Just a little bit, you know. I mean, we're not asking for much. Just a small percentage of the millions. Yeah, pocket change. Yeah, really. I mean, you, you, <laughs> sp- you spend that when you're buying leather pants. And Rob Zombie, if you're listening to this, first of all, thank you. And for everything for everything all and, your uh, music by the way we're gonna alienate fans right now because oh my god these guys like rob zombie okay done with them whatever oh god oh my god no yeah but you know what how many horror fans don't like rob zombie i mean it's it, to think we wouldn't like rob zombie and be horror fans give us some kind of credit yeah well and i'm not saying you he, have to like rob zombie if you're a horror fan but he's a, he's a polarizing he's an unfortunately odds. polarizing figure in the horror community unfortunately oh, you don't necessarily have to like his movies we're talking about his music yeah. Oh, a horror movie called Dragpole with with Rob Zombie's hellbilly style, like a. That's another. That's another. Oh. That's another meaning. If we're gonna if we're gonna write a movie, that's uh, we're keeping it off the air. And also, Rob Zombie, if 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 you're listening to this, please could you let us know? Please, no, no, could you? Well, yeah. Please renew your search for the House of a Thousand Corpses footage that has been lost maybe it's still out there they found the nightbreed footage they found the nightbreed footage and they put it back together you can find the house with a thousand corpses it's probably right under your nose you just don't you, you just haven't looked because you haven't had time because you're so busy being awesome it's out there somewhere yeah it would be cool to see some of the extra stuff but you know what or assemble a director's cut i'm gonna say what's out there already is great it's great we i'm happy with it but we're off topic yeah Anyway, uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> Casper. Casper, for all of his psychopathy, actually has uh, a lot of uh, cute lines in the movie that uh, that seem to hint at the film having some grand purpose as far as ethical morality is being put on display. And therefore, that that's part of my interpretation of Tom is he is kind of like either on a search for ethics or on a, a search for himself, if you will, where he just like a redemption 
redemption. I don't know about redemption or maybe just, uh, I don't know, like it, it might just go back to the, the cliche about the 20th century man about how, uh, what are real ethics? What are real morals anymore in the, in the world that we live in? Tom just trying to find his own way. And it sounds and, to me like looking for a deeper meaning. Yes. It's very easy meaning. to do, isn't it? You see how I got lost last time. I don't think it's a deeper meaning as, as much as just a basic meaning because uh, as Tom isolates himself, Tom is self-destructive. Tom probably hates himself. All these things contribute to him being like somebody who doesn't feel like he's part of this world he's in. Possibly. Or like I said, it could be just since he can see all that, it's easier to, to kind of be master of his own fate when he can be directing things. Well, no, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's kind of a well-known philosophical uh, thesis that perception and intelligence are curses. Oh, yeah. So Tom is a cursed man. Like, he can see things that Leo can't see. He can see the angles the way Casper can't quite see. There, uh, There's a reason Casper wants to hire him. Well, yeah. I think part of it is because, one, he knows Tom ethically is the kind of person that he's looking for. I think also part of it is because he knows, based on like Leo's reaction to Casper's request in the beginning, he, he saw how Tom reacted to it and knows Tom agreed agrees with him instead of Leo. So it's like, okay, well, I know he's not just going to betray me. He's not going to double cross me. That's another line. Isn't like that another line uh, like Casper if, has where he says, double cross, where does it end? Yeah, he, he hates double crossers and he's he constantly is talking about not double crossing people. But I think that's another thing that like he sees he's, Tom isn't going behind Leo's back. He's not double crossing Leo, even though he disagrees with him. So he knows Tom would be somebody that he would be able to trust because if he's on your side, even if he doesn't agree with you, he's on your side. He's going to have your back. Possibly. But I, do we know? Do we think Tom really ever had Casper's back? Um, I would say, but I think that gets into the parts that I think we shouldn't spoil. All right. Um, I'll say that I think there's times when he could have, and there's times when it's questionable. I think there's a, one could interpret a lot of what he did for Casper as being stuff that he wishes he could have done for Leo. Yeah. Like, uh, well, uh, the main thing being something we can't spoil. See, this, this is one of those movies that everything's tied together so well because it's Coen's that it's hard to take certain things out and not just completely alter the story. I mean, we were able to take Jesus out of Lebowski. In theory. Um, he doesn't contribute much to the plot. Yeah, but for Miller's Crossing, who would you take out? Miller's Crossing? Uh, Adolf. Yeah, that guy walking along with Tom on the street for one minute. Just the guy Tom was talking to about bets, I think. Oh, the the little guy when when the two thugs uh, thugs up. come up. Yeah, and the I don't necessarily says, know if I would say that would be somebody that it's like, oh yeah, you could take him out and it doesn't make a difference. I think him being a named character wouldn't make a difference. Yeah, but just to have it like life is going on and have this is what's happening and the thugs are coming out in broad daylight on the street with witnesses. I think having that conversation would be appropriate. You wouldn't necessarily have to know anything about the character or a name or anything. It's just somebody he's talking to about a bet. I don't think witnesses matter in this town. No, but I think no. that's a good way of showing that witnesses don't matter is having it happen with witnesses. Yeah, because uh, the nuts are running the asylum in this town. Well, Very that's much. one of the things I, I appreciate with the Coens is they don't necessarily say, you know what, we don't have to show you. You can just hear about it or see it in a newspaper clipping. And they do show a lot of things in newspaper clippings that do make a difference to the story or at least can add to the story. But they want you to see it for yourself. Yeah. Um, like Big Lebowski. You can say, oh yeah, Bunny Lebowski was in these beaver pictures. But was she? It could just be Maud just trying to talk shit. Okay, well now you have them? her in lingerie answering a door. That still doesn't mean anything. Well, now you have the porn star coming out naked and not, pay, not being bothered with some stranger there and putting on heels instead of everything else. Okay, now you know this is a porn, porn movie she's in. Indeed. And this, it's kind of that same thing where you can say oh yeah they went and shot these guys out on the street at two in the afternoon or whatever you can say these things happen or you can show it happening yeah as your story unfolds and i think showing that happening has a much greater impact than just some exposition that could be lost somewhere speaking of showing things the movie is uh if you're a tommy gun enthusiast this movie is like might be like porn for you because this thing uh endless uh, bullets endless bullets 
Although uh, that scene with Leo is pretty badass. Yes, it was. Uh, there's this great scene where uh, there's an attempt on Leo's life by two uh, Casper's thugs trying to come into his house. And uh, Leo gets a drop on him. And boy, does he... Uh, drop uh, there's him. A, there's, there's a line later in the movie where they say, yeah, Leo came out clean. Still an artist with a Thompson. Yeah. And he that was art. Yeah. He slowly put his slippers on. He snuffed out a cigar and put it in his pocket. And then as soon as the guys bust in, he grabs his revolver, goes under the bed, and two guys in the doorway with Tommy guns start shooting at the floor, working their way up to the bed. He shoots one in the leg to drop him, and as he's laying on the ground, shoots him again in the head. The other guy runs out the door, so he crawls out of the out from under the bed, grabs a Tommy gun, goes over to the window, throws it out the window, slides down off the roof, grabbing the... the rain gutter on the way to catch himself drops himself to the ground picks up the tommy gun backs up waits for the guy to come in front of the window and just starts shooting the living shit out of him in the back and, and while he's leader. doing that this guy starts shooting like mad because he's getting shot and he's just pulling the trigger he ends up shooting himself in both feet multiple times as the house is burning to a crisp and then another car comes by shooting at him he doesn't try and get out of the way or hide or anything he just turns and starts walking towards this car that's shooting at him firing away following it down the street and somebody did the math on the scene uh leo should have had to reload like six times uh, oh yeah the... it's just endless endless bullets yeah and then there's a shootout at a uh at an irish social club later in the film where sam raimi makes his uh, cameo and, firing uh, away dual pistols if you didn't get enough bullets before you get them you get them in this scene but what got me is the bullets are only coming from one little tiny space in this window why don't they all concentrate their fire there they're not getting shot from anywhere else. Because they're all terrible shots, apparently. No, but one of the things about this movie that I dreaded about us covering it is because I feel like we could go on for hours, like, trying to come up with interpretations of, like, this or that or this or that or this and this, and, and we wind up chasing our tails. Like, you've mentioned the hats thing. I mentioned this whole made-up background for Tom Regan. Reagan, Regan, whatever. And really, I mean, if, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of this movie without spoiling it, we're not going to be able to. I mean, when it comes down to like what I what I think my proof is for Tom's moral arc. Well, then it's up to you if you want to spoil it or not. I don't want to spoil it. No, but I, I think Tom gets tested throughout the movie in ways that uh, that force him to challenge his own ideas about uh, ethics and, and leadership, both fails and passes those tests. Uh, at different times. What do you think of um, what John Turturro told Barry Sonnenfeld? I think that was a mean thing to say. I think I think John Turturro and Barry Sonnenfeld probably aren't friends. So if you don't know, John Turturro plays a very needy, whiny, narcissistic, gay Jewish person in this movie. At the end, John Turturro went up to Barry Sonnenfeld and thanked him. And he's like, okay, yeah, cool, no problem. But for what? And it turned out that he based his character on Barry Sonnenfeld. He based his character on Sonnenf how Sonnenfeld was with the Coens. So it's like he kind of thanked him and at the same time was like, not sure. Kind of sticking it to him. When when Tom is walking through the woods, he looks up and it, it's one of the things in Miller's Crossing is you have this beautiful music that uh, that's a lament for lamentation for Limerick or something. It's this yeah. old Irish folk tune. That it, was it is beautiful into music, this but I think a, there's a lot of times it felt really out of place well either in still that's the thing i mean could you have like old beautiful italian music for an italian gangster movie like where Godfather. oh is there old beautiful italian gangster mu music in that watch it i've watched godfather the music didn't okay the music is <laughs> isn't really like uh it's okay, how it's mom. used i yes look this movie i think has a lot of be beautiful music and cohen's i think do a really great job with the music in their movies this one though i don't really agree with the the music at all the times um i think it does great at ramping up the music at the tense points but there's a lot of times when that slower music just for me really feels out of place and takes me out of it well that's another thing i had with my interpretation of tom is maybe like longing for home or something is that music tends to swell when Tom is looking up at the trees at Miller's Crossing, and there's there's something about it that is maudlin to me about the music. And well, it, it also it's swells like, because what's going on at the time, which we can't talk about what happens at Miller's Crossing because. That's but again, um, there's a point there when he's down on the ground 
and he is at his most vulnerable. And guess what happens at that same point? His hat is taken off and thrown away. Yes, by the Dane. Yes. So what would you change? I would I would have a, a bit more between Tom and Verna. I would have uh, I would have her ask him like some hard questions and they have like a talk where he like either dumps her or something like that. I, I, like a Lauren Bacall, Humphrey Bogart moment where she just flat out asks like, what what is this? What do you want from me or something? But it, in reality, that probably wouldn't fit with the characters because she's too tough for that. And she knows exactly what she's got with him and he knows exactly what he's got with her. Okay. What would you change? It would have been nice to see a little bit more Bernie. I, I really like the way John Turturro played Bernie. And especially like that when he's in, when the first time you see him and he's in Tom's apartment and just how he gets up and walks out. Just every movement, everything he does, it just brings so much interest to the character. Same with Jesus. You could take him out of Big Lebowski, but yet the character is so great that even after 20 years, there was enough interest in such a minor character to make a whole nother movie. And that's just because the magic of Totoro. He he makes you want more of this character, just like Angela Bettis made you want more May. Mm. No, I think John Totoro is just a very charismatic actor when it comes down to it, and he was able to imbue that into into Bernie and in Jesus, yeah. and not just the raw charisma of Totoro, but also just the the work he put into the mannerisms and the you know the way they walk and everything else. You know what else they wrote when they did this, right? Uh, Barton Fink. Yes, when they they were having writer's block for this, they would write Roder- they would write Barton Fink, which is a movie about a writer with writer's block. Right. And well, to tie everything together, where did Tom live? The best uh, the best guess anyone has is it was New York City because he he, he lived told at the Barton it, Arms. Oh, the Barton Arms. I thought I thought you meant what city was? Yeah, it going he was on. either in he was either in New York or New Jersey because he tells her to go to the Palisades. Right. So he was either in New York or New Jersey. But yeah, right. the apartments he lived in were the Barton Arms. And then the next movie is Barton Fink. Right. Cohen's tie their shit together. Yes, they do. But we could talk about Miller's Crossing all day, and all I'm going to find out from it is that I lament not having a film studies degree. So uh, I did take tra- a film study class at one point. Well, good for you. It was really fun. I would, I would like to do more. But, you know, in order to get the money to take those film studies classes, um, like, subscribe, comment. Yes. Let us know. Uh, what you thought of the episodes heart stars subscribe moves, comment heart star tell your friends about us let us know in the comments criticize if you w- would like tell us what you would change about the movie or what you liked about the movie tell us what you think the hat means yeah that's it tell us what you think the hat means but uh the train is coming to a stop we hope it, it's time to say goodbye here in the movie car we hope everyone out there in podcast land was able to get a little bit of new appreciation for the movie we talked about just now so just be good to each other out there we're all stuck together in this crazy train and we're all we have in here so bye for now folks yeah don't go backstabbing yeah have some ethics